goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC <laughs> here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome. Well, Harry Belafonte is home. The award-winning actor, singer, and activist died today, age 96. Harry Belafonte, seven decades, in the 70 years in the public light. Now, do I know that Harry Belafonte is a flaming progressive? Yes, I do. Do I know that Harry Belafonte made some, said some horrible things about Republicans and conservatives over the years, including calling Donald Trump the Fourth Reich? Yep. But I also know this. When I was a young tyke, didn't understand much about the world, didn't understand much about politics, American history, or anything else, one of the first voices I heard that actually was a crossover from the world of entertainment songs and songs that even I liked as a child to understanding politics was that of Harry Belafonte because of his association with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., in those days, it's easy to forget now because we have come so far as a country and so far as in this world what it was like for a black man in America to speak up and not waver in front of the abject hatred and criticism that was thrown his way. And Harry Belafonte did that, and along the way, he still remained a popular artist. First black person in America to ever win the Emmy Awards, first ever milling-selling full-length album by any artist, was that of Harry Belafonte. But he never wavered. The first time I heard the word apartheid, the first time I knew that what was happening in America with black people wasn't confined to America, but was also happening 
in South Africa, it was because of Harry Belafonte. The first time I heard the beautiful music of Miriam Makiba from South Africa was because she did an album, and he brought her to the United States and did an album with her that elevated her status here in the United States and also allowed a lot of other people to understand what was going on in South Africa. Harry Belafonte was a giant of a man. And there should be a lot said about him, despite the fact, yes, he was a total progressive. But sometimes what you do as a human being transcends your politics. And Harry Belafonte, to me, was one of those people. He was legendary. And you think about it, he didn't have to do this. He did not have to put his politics out there for the potential harm that it would cause his career. A lot of artists don't. In fact, today we prefer if artists shut up and keep the politics out of it. But back then, with where America was back then, as a nation, it was necessary for people to speak up. And then a time that could have cost him a lot more than his career, could have cost him his life to speak up, he did. And he spoke up on behalf of people that could not speak up for themselves. Harry Belafonte was an American treasure. And I do believe that history will be very kind to him. Today is Mark Stein Day here on Bo Snerley's Rush Hour. We're going to take a break when we come back. America's undocumented anchorman, the one, the only Mark Stein. He's always mistakenly British. Teen Crumpets. Cheerio. But he's really a Canuck. Known on all seven continents. Oh, I know who you are. America's undocumented anchorman. He's a recording star and a TV star. Tuesdays, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, presents Mark Stein. The one, the only, America's totally undocumented anchorman who's probably one of these days going to re-sneak in through that border at Mexico <laughs> just to show us that he can. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm willing to do that. That, uh, that was a, uh, a lovely tribute you did to uh, Harry Belafonte there, uh, I, I thought, James. Uh, and absolutely right. And uh, I didn't care for... You know, a lot of the things he said in recent years about uh, Condi Rice and Colin Powell and, and so forth. But, you know, on a day like this, all that gets set aside and what lives on are uh, some really, you know, terrific. Like I, I, at Christmas time, his uh, version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas, that's one of the greatest Christmas records ever made. His recording of Scarlet Ribbons, that's a fantastic record, and that's forever, and uh, snippy cracks about Condi Rice are, are, are forgotten and interred, and 
the great stuff lives on. Well, Mark, thank you. You know, speaking about things that have been interred, uh, tonight with Tucker Carlson at Fox has been yeah. interred. Don Lemon and Poppy and whoever else the other one was, well, that's gone by the wayside. The uh, CEO of N NBC Universal or whatever it is over there, uh, Universal NBC, whatever, he's gone over an affair that ended two years ago. Today, yeah. Nate Silver is gone. Well, yeah. he's gone out of ABC. Bloody Sunday, bloody Monday, and bloody Tuesday. What in the world is going on? Well, in our media. Well, when they, the Don Lemon, after uh, Fox announced that Tucker was out, and then 10 minutes later, Don Lemon said, oh, by the way, I'm out too. I thought it was a bit like when uh, Aldous Huxley, the great uh, novelist of Brave New World, had the misfortune <laughs> to die on the same day as President Kennedy. And obviously, you know, JFK made all the front pages and at the foot of page 73, uh, there was a small thing saying, uh, you know, Aldous Huxley died. But in fact, the ridiculous American media treated these events as equivalent. Don Lemon is, you know, nothing. He's a low-rated CNN anchor everybody had forgotten about. I, when I used to guest host for Tucker uh, and for Sean at uh, Fox... And I'd be up against, I'm like some dilettante Canadian guest host, and I could crush Don Lemon like a bug, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So the idea that these two things are part of a trend or are connected, I thought was ridiculous. You know, I, I, love, I love the endless speculation on this. There's only one guy who knows why Tucker is gone. He's not in New York. He's not in America. He's sitting in his garden in Oxfordshire right now, and that's Rupert Murdoch. And the only other input Rupert will have had from that will have been from his son, Lachlan, who's in the suburbs of Sydney. And they're the only two people who uh, decided that this had to happen and why it had to happen. And all the rest is uh, all, all the rest is just rubbish and empty speculation. Rupert has his reasons and uh, and what they are will one day emerge but but a lot of the stuff that's floating around about why Tucker's gone is completely ridiculous. Well, what do you think about his future? Now, I tend to think that someone with Tucker Carlson's appeal will not have a hard time re-emerging in a media platform, and, pre and and it could be very well be a media platform of his choosing. Yeah, I think, I think that's true, but I don't think um, it will be on uh, another network. You know, right. I, think, I think Tucker, Tucker's journey, and it hasn't just been in the years since he's been doing this show, uh, you know, the last six or seven years. I think it actually started... It, on when he was the host at Fox and Friends Weekend. I remember actually being on with him once. Uh, there'd been some uh, jihadist attack somewhere, and he was so much more powerful on the subject than I'd expected, uh, given his past. He's been, on a, he's been on a journey, and the things he wants to say, you can't really say if you're at a CNN or if you're at an NBC or an ABC. And Megan, Megan Kelly, uh, who's been 
through this herself to a certain degree. Uh, you know, Megan and I were uh, on her show together a, a few weeks back, and we sort of agreed that at a certain point, uh, the things you want to say, it's not possible to say as part of a Fox or an NBC or a CNN. And that's the stage Tucker's at. So whatever he's going to be doing, he's going to be doing as Tucker Carlson rather than as, you know, a... Uh, an, an, uh, an employee of some conventional network. Do you ever think we'll get back to a day when people will be judged without the kind of ferocity? I mean, I've read report. you know, you read some of these leftist organiza organizations and the, the first thing out of their mouth, oh, white supremacist and yeah. racist and the usual crap. Of course, no one can ever give any examples. The only thing close to an example that I read of supposedly his racism, racism is that he called Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. Outside of that, I see the charge, and I see the charge by editorial boards um, that are writing some op-eds. And these people ought to know better than to just hurl around these names without providing any sort of documented proof of that 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 this person that they're accusing is guilty of these things. But we have now slid into a place in American media where even the editorial boards of some very powerful newspapers no longer can restrain themselves from yeah. from just an ideological attack on anyone. Yeah, I think that's true. If you read what uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post have had to say about Tucker's departure, I'll, I'll, I will say this, because he's a kind of... Uh, neighbor of mine in that uh, I'm I'm in New Hampshire and he's on the New Hampshire side of Maine a lot of the time for half the year and uh, and when we uh, get together in uh, northern New England the, the, we talk about the things we see here in other words we talk about once functioning small towns that now no longer function, uh, where a guy who's worked all his life, his daughter has no job opportunities except the night shift at the quickie crap, uh, and the, the son has no opportunities except to be a small-time heroin or meth dealer, which is marginally more interesting than doing the night shift at the quickie crap. Functioning communities that no longer function. But because they're out of sight of the metropolitan elites. Uh, th these millions and millions of people are completely forgotten. They're never talked about. They're, they're un it's not like Dylan Mulvaney. You know, that's exciting. Oh, look, here's, here's, here's a guy who wants to be a girl. Let's sign her up and have her advertising uh, makeup and uh, beer and all the other things. These, and, uh, these are millions and millions of people. And they're completely forgotten and they're betrayed and abandoned. And simply because Tucker, and, and it's it accelerated during the COVID years when uh, he wasn't doing his show from Washington or New York. He was doing it, uh, as I said, half the year from rural Maine, a place not so very different from where I am in New Hampshire. And, uh, and that's who he lives among. And so this idea that he's some kind of racist, he's some kind of white supremacist, he's not. He, he actually started talking 
Uh, instead of you have a left that wants to talk about transgender bathrooms and then you have like the Lindsey Graham right that wants to put boots on the ground in countries nobody's ever heard of, uh, you know, culminating yeah. in the stupid thing where Lindsey Graham was demanding we put after some terror attack that we put boots on the ground. I think it was in Chad or Mali. And it turned out, of course, we already had boots on the ground in Chad and Mali because there's 200 <laughs> con there's 200 countries and Lindsey Lindsey Graham's managed to put boots on the ground in 197 of them. Uh, and, and in between the transgender bathrooms and Lindsey Graham's boots on the ground are all the real issues of concern to actual American lives that, that just don't get talked about. And that's what Tucker did on his show, and that's what people are going to miss. The presidential debates, Mark, are coming up. Donald Trump today is questioning why he should participate. These debates were apparently uh, announced without anyone talking to him. One of them is supposed to be at the uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. And Trump notes that uh, Fred Ryan, who is a publisher at the Washington Post, is chairman of the Board of Trustees there. And he's like, well, no one asked me. I don't. I think I would love to see all of this business, not just with the debates, but the presidential debates, I would like to see all this blown up. Why should we public it? I would. I, I would love to see debates where the leading candidate just doesn't bother. And why should they? We see the same thing year after year. And we often wonder, why do Republicans continue to get sucked down this rabbit hole where they're sitting across a bunch of liberals right. or a bunch of Republican rhinos that hate their guts if they're conservatives? where they try to lay landmine after landmine, where they mm. try to trap them. And meanwhile, they are actively working to elevate the liberal candidate. Why play in a rigged game? And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I, I absolutely agree with that. This Presidential Debate Commission is, uh, is, is an outrage. And you always end up with somebody like Bob Schieffer or Candy Crowley or whoever it is, uh, that everyone is agreed on is a great uh, respected figure uh, and completely nonpartisan. And every issue, just to go back to what we were talking about, re Tucker, every issue is framed, whether it's climate change or COVID or whatever, is framed from the left's perspective. So that the, uh, the, the Republican candidates are supposed to spend two hours playing on the left's terms. That's the one stupid thing. Then the other stupid thing is these aren't real debates. I've never, ever seen anything except these American pres presidential debates where the first 15 minutes is the moderator explaining the stupid... Well, under the rules agreed by the two sides, uh, each party will have time for a 90-second pre-rebuttal to the opening statement of the other party, which will last 45 seconds, at which which point will then will then be permitted to have a follow up uh, of lasting twenty three point two seconds? That's not a debate. Why don't if why don't you just have uh, you know if it's going to be Trump and Biden or whoever it's going to be? Why don't you just let them have at it and may the best man win? But this stilted format and the and the uh, focus on left-wing issues framed on left-wing terms is a complete waste of time and particularly this year if trump's talking about pulling out of the primary debates i mean 
it's a really diminished field. Nikki Haley, uh, Asa Hutchinson, uh, and then uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I was mocking Don Lemon's ratings, but I tell you, Don <laughs> Lemon, Don Lemon juggling plates would beat that debate. <laughs> Well, you know, don't forget, we may have Chris Christie in because he's now parading himself as the only viable alternative to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sta- as I said, I'm, you know, I've, I've been in New Hampshire for God knows how many primary uh, cycles now, and I cannot recall a time, and, and I hate primary season, to be honest, in New Hampshire, because you... You'd think, oh, I'd better stop at the uh, general store, gas up, get a coffee and a paper or whatever. And you go in there and there's some guy who's at 0.0372% in the polls. <laughs> there's people you haven't heard of for years. You thought, I thought, wait a minute, I, I, I thought he, George Pataki, is he still, I thought he'd retired to the Bahamas. And uh, so there's. Guys like George Pataki and Lindsey Graham hanging around in the general store. There's nothing like that this time. It's the weirdest cycle. And there's only, as I said, there's only Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy. And I just don't... This is such... You know, you have to be... Rudy Giuliani could tell you you've got to be very careful when you get too complacent about early primary states. Um, but it is a very weird cycle this time. Well, I know what we should do. We should go on a cruise and just forget it all for a few weeks, Mark. How's that? Just, Absolute, just, absolutely. Just, you know, and we won't get canceled. We'll just be sailing the high seas. Where do you suggest we go? Well, I think we should start in Italy, James, and sail down the beautiful Adriatic and put in at Croatia and Montenegro and the Greek islands. And if it all works out, we may be in time. I don't even know whether they have primaries in Montenegro, but if they do... (laughs) <laughs> I, I tell you something, uh, I bet the Montenegro primary is more fun than the Iowa caucuses. So we might just be in time for that on, on the Mark Stein cruise with you and me on the high seas. And where do people go to find out and hang out with us in July? You know, July is coming rapidly. Yeah, Folks, no, no. Stop. No. Don't sit on your hands with this. No. Make no, a decision to go right. and go and come on with us. You don't want do to. Le- you don't want to leave it too late and uh, be stuck back in America in time for Chris Christie's presidential announcement and having to sit through that speech. Uh, so if you go to MarksteinCruise.com, we'll be sailing in July. There'll be you and me, and Michelle Buckman, and all kinds of other people. We're going to have a week of fun on the high seas. Mark Stein, my friend, so good to hear your voice. Thank you so much. And Thanks we a lot, will James. Check in with you next week. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. 
This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. When your legs don't work like they used to before. Over. Trial's over. The trial's over. What what trial? Why did they need a trial? Is this still? I found this right before we went live. It's a mashup, yeah. What trial? Why is this even going to trial? If you don't know what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, what's the artist's name here? Ed Ed Sheeran. Okay, Ed Sheeran is being sued by Marvin Gaye's estate for ripping off Let's Get It On. And after listening to that, why bother with a trial? Hit Marvin. What trial? Yes, it's ripped off. Don't forget it's, Shaggy used uh, used the same thing. I'm assuming he paid? Yeah, but if you get permission from the artist okay. and you say, okay, we're sampling your stuff and we're going to pay you some way, royalties never, on it. I've never heard the version of that song with this in it, by the way. Is that a either. remix or is that on the album? Where did that come from? That's the version that they're suing over. The mashup that, version. I wonder how that was released. I don't know. I don't care what trial. Okay, no, no. So, so the version, so the version I, I, I came in with was a mashup of them two together. This is like Ed Sheeran and just Ed Sheeran. Hold on. So Ed Sheeran didn't release that. This is and just. I can't sweep yeah, you yeah, off yeah. Of your feet. There's a trial. There's a trial. So that other thing was just made by somebody as an example. Will your still yeah, remember yeah. the taste okay. of my love? Yeah, I think there's a trial. Will your eyes still smile There's a trial. from your cheek? Okay. I, okay, I get it. Not much of a trial. Come on, this is such a rip. You know, you would think that they would have learned after Robin Thicke lost to um to the which uh, there was another which one did he rip off? I guess everybody figures, you know, Marvin's dead. Let's just steal his stuff. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Goodbye. Turn it off. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Bye. Pay up and get lost. Stop ripping off people, at least so openly. It's not as if one of the best-kept secrets in the world is that people rip off other people's songs all the time, but at least disguise it so that you said, you know, that kind of reminds me of something, but... But I can't quite, I mean, that's when you've pulled it off. Not when they say, oh, he ripped off. Like Madonna Holiday, like every single pop song reminds me of Madonna Holiday. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. could name like 20 songs that sound like Madonna Holiday. Exactly. Okay, the uh, jury was picked today in the trial of E. Jean Carroll's civil claim that Donald Trump raped her 
in a New York City department store back in the 1990s. Carol, a magazine writer and columnist, alleges the attack took place in a Berg, uh, Bergdorf Goodman department store on Fifth Avenue. So there you are, Fifth Avenue, Bergdorf Goodman. She starts playful banter with Donald Trump, and she says things took a dark turn. No racist language there. It went dark. It took a dark, dark turn. And she says that Donald Trump seized her, forced her up against a dressing room wall, pinned her in place with his shoulder, and then raped her. Donald Trump has called these allegations a con job, a hoax, complete scam, and now Carol is suing him for defamation. And he says it's ridiculous to think an incident like this could happen in a department store. So I say that sometimes to people, and I say, can you imagine this, the concept of this? You know, I he's a very famous person. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that a lawsuit like this can be bought. I want to know, and I've been asking, number one, if this happened, if this happened, you know, we're never supposed to question and say that it sounds like, you know, so if it happened, I want to know two things. How is she going to prove it? How do you prove this thing that happened in the 1990s? And then why did you wait until he was president? If it happened, why didn't you hustle out of that dressing room, go to the hospital, check yourself in, say, you know, this awful man, this orange man just raped me? No, none of that happened. But yet when he was present, when everybody else was on the attack, then all of a sudden here comes this this, this good old magazine writer. Oh, you know what? Way back when in a Bergdorf Goodman store on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, right. I mean, yes, okay. Supposedly bring the proof. And I wonder if she loses this. This is New York, so anything can happen. Calls in a moment, 800-848-WABC, calls in a moment. The hot issue, bedeviling Arizona's new governor, has to do with tamales. Yes, you heard me, tamales. Now, this article from the old gray lady, that would be the New York Times, prints out to about nine pages. I can sum it up in a few paragraphs. Arizona is one of these states where the government stands in the way of a lot of things. It stands in the way of people who prepare food and want to sell their food. You have to go through incredible hoops in order to sell food. Republicans put up a law. The Republicans in the Arizona legislature put up a law, and they had some Democrat Party support. And the law basically said, okay, if you register with the state, you can sell food that you make at home to other people. Got to register with the state. We got to know who you are. And, of course, they put a few rules in that. Well, you know what Katie Hobbs, the new Democrat governor out there, did? She vetoed the bill. And you know who's opposed to it? The Democrat Party. Who does this affect? This is why they're saying it's all about tamales. 
mostly poor Hispanic vendors, people who are, in some cases, very desperate to make a living, are now being punished if they dare make their own food to sell with $500 fines and six months in jail for making their own food, like tamales, to sell to people. This is the government crushing the little people. And who's supposed to be, as a political party, who is it that's supposed to be for the little guy? Why, of course, the Democrats. But in reality, who is against the little guy, as so often happens, the Democrat Party. The Gap is closing hundreds of stores. Yesterday we talked about Bed Bath & Beyond. The Gap is closing a bunch of stores, getting ready to fire a lot of people. There is something going on in the retail sector that had better be paid attention to. Experts in the field say it's a liberal, it is, I'm sorry, not a liberal, faux pas. It is a retail apocalypse that is getting ready to happen in that sector. These closings are just the first of a wave that could affect many, and there will be many jobs that are people displaced from many jobs. Have you heard what's going on in Montana? A transgender lawmaker. Zui Zephyr. Zui Zephyr stood up during a debate and basically accused Republicans of having blood on their hands, usual nasty talk. Well, they said, look, this is not in decorum of the body, and she has been silenced through the debate. Nope, can't speak anymore. You blew it. We need an apology from you. She refuses to apologize. There was an insurrection. Yes, members of transgender advocates and supporters stormed the Montana legislature, and they disrupted the hearings. Many There were seven arrests and a bunch of arrests. Now, what hasn't happened is that the FBI hasn't gone in there with facial recognition to make sure that everybody that participated has been arrested. And unlike January 6th, these people are not going to be sitting in jail for goodness knows how long. And unlike January 6th, we will not be hearing from the mainstream media that this little insurrection out there means that democracy is dying and the fragile democracy that we live in is now threatened by these horrible insurrectionist people. It's okay when liberals storm the Capitol. This is not the first time liberals have stormed a state capitol. In fact, just go back a few weeks. Remember Nashville? Oh, yeah. And they were turned into heroes. You see, when liberals, when liberals storm a capitol, when liberals disrupt a legislature, they are heroes. If people wearing red hats do it, even if they're planted red hats, people go to jail. That's the new America. Adam in Connecticut, you're on the line. Thank you for waiting. Adam, how are you? How are you doing? Um, uh, just quick question. In what you were referring to, the big difference is, though, that, you know, 
January 6th was legitimately people that were angry because they were lied to about the election um, by Trump. But let me just let me just change topics real quickly. Um, Tucker Carlson, he basically it was a money decision. He was let go because he lost a lot of advertisers. The company was not making as much money under him, even though he was top rated. It was lesser lesser amounts to be paid by um, advertisers. But I will say this as a Jewish person. When I hear uh, someone say the words, you know, immigration is making the country dirtier, to me as a Jewish person, we knew, you know, I've grown up knowing that, that the Nazis used the term, Hitler used the term dirty to describe Jews. I've read about other dictators using those terminologies. Tunt, um, Tucker knows better. I've, I know Tucker. I've met him. We had the same PR person years ago. You know, he, he knows better. He's an educated person. Using that kind of terminology is just not okay. Let me ask you a question. You cite one incident, and you say, okay, this is language that he shouldn't have used. Now, granted, that's not a sentence that I would use. But if I did use it, I'd probably apologize and say, you know what, I should have thought about that, didn't really mean for it to come out like that. I happen to know Tucker, too. And the Tucker Carlson I know is a very decent, caring man. And is it possible that anybody, a human being, can say something in the heat of an argument that they shouldn't say and that doesn't make them a racist or a bigot or a swine? Would you grant me that, Adam? Absolutely. In fact, I don't think Tucker Carlson is a racist. He, he, he grew up in a very wealthy family. I know his background very well. You know, he, he's a very, very actually nice, decent person. But Tucker was always interested in maximizing his brand and getting, you know, in, in making money. And he knows that this is what sells. The reality is what's, what, what makes me angry is that Tucker actually doesn't believe what he's saying. He just knows that it's, it's, it's red meat for the, for, you know, for the crowd. And that's what's annoying to me is that he's not a person of principle. He's saying what he knows people want to hear. So I don't I think believe if he's you a listen, racist at all. I think if you listen to thousands and thousands of hours of Tucker, you will find very few things that you can say, aha, this is problematic. That's right. Now, you might find some things that you're passionately opposed to, but I just don't think you're going to find it. And anybody that is in this business, whether it's TV, radio, whatever, that has to talk for a living about political issues, I guarantee you, if they do it without a script, over the course of a 10, 15, 20-year period, you will find incidents where they said something that if, in retrospect, they hear it again, they say, oop, I wish I hadn't said it like that. And doesn't make him a bad person at all. And I refuse. These people that are out in print calling Tucker all these horrible names, they're lucky that slander laws don't apply. Adam, I so enjoy hearing from you. And thank you. What did you do, by the way, that you shared the same, um, the, what was it, the same I'm, agent? I'm, um, I'm a musician. I'm a musician, and, and uh, I'm, I'm behind the scenes musician, but I'm, I'm successful, thank God. Uh, but I'm, I'm behind the scenes. I'm not, I'm not a name that, you know, that most people know, except people in, you know, in the recording, Broadway recording world. But I, I, am, I do love your show. I've watched Hot Girl. I, I do think that he's got a, a free speech. He has a right to say whatever he wants to say, but it's a business decision. Fox is like, we're not making enough money off of him, and he's costing us money. We're going to, you know, we're going to place him. And he, he'll, find, he'll be fine. He comes, you know, he had money to begin with, so he's going to be totally fine. But I do think that the rhetoric needs to be dialed down and it's on both sides. I think we need to have more people uh, on both sides talking to each other. That's all I want to say. That's one of the reasons I'm glad you called here. 
and I support that idea that we need to talk with each other. But that also means sometimes just as much as talking to each other, we need to listen to each other. Not just talking. We need to listen to each other. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you. W.A.B.C. coming back right after this. Don't go away. This Friday, April 28th, starts the opening weekend for your Staten Island Ferry Hawks. 77 WABC has your free tickets. That's right, all you have to do. Join 770 WABC radio host and the Staten Island Ferry Hawks for opening night. That's Friday, April 28th, 7 p.m. Catch the excitement of Ferry Hawks baseball, go to wabcradio.com slash ferryhawks. You'll cash in. You'll get free tickets for the Ferry Hawks opener. And let me tell you, I was at opening day last year. Beautiful out there. wabcradio.com slash ferryhawks for your free pair of tickets. Heading back to the telephones here on Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. John in Staten Island. How are you, John? Hello, Bo. Um, what I wanted to mention was, Tim. when you were talking about Mark, Tim Scott is also trying to come across the board into the race uh, to, you know, for president, too. And uh, yeah. I think you know, if you, whoever comes around and says Donald Trump is, is number one, he has a, a great choice of whoever is going to go start running across the board for a vice presidential pick. And well, the, the thing, thing with Tim, hold, hold on. The thing with Tim Scott is Tim Scott has uh, has announced an exploratory committee. So he is not a declared candidate in much the same way that everyone figures that Ron DeSantis is going to run, but Ron DeSantis hasn't announced. So Mark was absolutely right in, in, in when he said the lineup. These people have declared. Uh, Hutchison, Arkansas. Uh, um, what's... Oh, my goodness. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Nikki Haley, Governor Nikki Haley, South Carolina, South Carolina, and, and Vic Ramaswamy. They have all declared. And so far, they are the only ones that are legitimately in, entitled, in quotes, to be part of, the, of the, uh, the primary debates because they've declared. So, John, thank you for that. Appreciate the call. Melvin in the Bronx, how are you? Please, I appreciate your trip to Harry Belafonte, but you understand the nature of the country that he was living in, United States, North America, and what were your ancestors doing July 4th, 1776, which was protest, if you disagree with some of the things he said, because that's exactly what it's all about, because July 4th is coming. 
I'm a student of Frederick Douglass. I want to hear what you're going to say about Frederick Douglass on July 5th. 1852 in Rochester, New York. One of the greatest speeches in in American history. That's what I'll say about it. And let me tell you this, Melvin, this might surprise you. And I said this openly and I say it all the time. I do not celebrate July 4th. July 4th is white people's independence day. don't have nothing to do with black people. Up. Go ahead. Bring them back up. Let me hear. Go ahead. That's what I have to say about it. The stars involved in the Confederate States of America. Um, they were defeated. Now, Next what question. you position on the stars and bars? Do a person have the right to fly the stars and bars? What does it represent, the stars and bars? Here's what I, here's what I look at. We live in a country that has freedom of expression, okay? And you have to take that seriously. Now, personally, when I see the Confederate flag, it disgusts me, okay? I look at it the same way I think that a Jewish person would look at someone flying a Nazi flag. I find it disgusting. I find it, but... At the same time, I also realize that there are people in this country who don't fly it because they're racist. They fly it because it's part of their heritage as Southerners. And I am not equipped to make, let me finish. And I am not equipped to make that decision about what is in someone else's heart and what's in their head. So that's what I think about it. Now, sadly, we're about almost close to being out of time. But, Melvin, go ahead. Get the last word real quick, though, because time's running out. last word is yours. Read the Constitution of the Confederate States of America. It's about the preservation of a way of life. And keep in mind, the state of Florida had uh, designated uh, April as Confederate um, Veterans Memorial Month. And you saw a bitch you want to support the Confederacy. I'm against the Confederacy. Who said I wanted to support the Confederacy? You need to listen, my friend. I never said I wanted to support the Confederacy. That's absurd. I said they were defeated, as they should have been. I'm glad you called, Melvin. Thank you. See, people, you have no idea sometimes. I am not your typical knee-jerk conservative where you think you know what I'm going to say and you're right. You do not. But I'm always glad that we have such a diverse point of view and people willing to call, and I hope to have more of that here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this edition, the Mark Stein edition, as we call it, of Boston here on WABC. We're back tomorrow, God willing, at 4 o'clock. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families and your loved ones. Nothing but love and gratitude for you being here. Thank you. And again, God willing, we'll see you tomorrow at 4. Bye. (laughs) 